What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. I am just loving season three. We have such a cool variety of guests. We've got authors, we've got CEOs of large wellness organizations, we've got solo practitioners, we've got lawyers and personalities, and so much more. It's just such a cool blend. And this week's guest is no exception. This week, I'm speaking to Pam Fisher, who's an herbalist, and she's the founder of the Olone Herbal Center in Berkeley, California. What I love about our variety of guests is that there's more than one way to grow a successful wellness business and to build a career in the wellness industry. And I love Pam's approach, her real down-to-earth organic approach about how she's grown the Olone Herbal Center into a clinical herbalism school and also a community clinic. As you probably know, I am a total lover of herbal medicine and wild plants. I'm an herbalist myself. And so I'm always happy to shed some light on really successful people within that industry. But even if you're not an herbalist, this episode is completely relevant and you're going to take away a lot of great tips from Pam because she shares how she transitioned from being a solo practitioner into creating the clinic and the school and doing that organically by listening to what her audience, to what her students were asking for. We talk about the importance of connecting with nature and with plants, no matter what type of wellness business you do, just for grounding and getting yourself centered and really tuning into your intuition about how to grow your wellness business, but also just how to move your life forward and how to take care of your own health. One unexpected twist of our interview is that we started talking about Pam's work on ancestral karma, which I find just fascinating. This idea that certain patterns repeat in our families over and over in the generations and how we can work to clear those to help ourselves move forward and rid future generations of repeating those patterns. It's really cool work that she does. And she approaches that by using plants to help with that clearing. And then, of course, I can't end an interview without talking about morning routines and habits for success and feeling well and balanced while still trying to grow a business because it can be really hard to stay in our own lane and stay on track with our own wellness when we're really trying to create this movement in the world. This was such a grounded, real, thoughtful, thought-provoking interview with Pam. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, as always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in our show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you'd like to chat with us about this episode and chat with the over 3,000 other podcast listeners who will participate in our Facebook group, come on over to the Wellpreneur community group on Facebook, and we can talk about this week's episode there. Okay, let's get ready to walk on the wild side and reconnect with nature with this interview with Pam Fisher. Hi, Pam. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hello. 
I'm really glad you were able to get up so early where you are in the Bay Area and meet up with me because I've been really excited to have you share your story and your journey for how you started your center. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome and my pleasure. And I'm drinking my tea as we we speak, so I'll become more and more alive, I'm sure. (laughs) I love it. So for people who aren't familiar with you and the Ohlone Center, can you just tell us what it is that you do? What it is that we do? Well, we're a three-year clinical herbalist program, and we have on-site a five-room clinic with uh, full dispensary services. So we're also in our school making all of our medicine. In the very tradition of Western herbalists is that we tend to do everything from start to finish. So we're out either growing our plants or harvesting plants from the wild in ethical ways and bringing them back, making medicine, and then uh, using that medicine to treat our community. Center actually has a, we run a a clinic a few days a week where um, our community comes and gets services and services are that are affordable. So they're low fee. So you started the center back in 1995, I think. So that's over 20 years now that it's been running. Yeah. 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 Take take us back there. And what was your journey to decide that you were going to open such a, a center in a school like this? Well, you know, I don't think we, I had the concept of it initially back in 1995. I had finished all of my herbal education back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I had moved back to some ancestral um, land and back into a community. And it was about bringing my knowledge back to the people that were around me. So I started teaching classes when my daughter was maybe five years old. And I started to do herbs for kids classes for my parents of my daughter's preschool, who I saw their children were really suffering from some just basic things of diet. There were a lot of ear infections going on and and everybody was eating a lot of dairy food. And it was quite obvious that if you just stop the dairy food, you're your ear canals would uh, clear. And so I started to really reach out to my community to be an educator at that point. And then that grew. I I moved into an office in a a nearby town to where I live in Walnut Creek. And my clients then um, wanted more information and wanted education. So I started an introduction to herbalism class. And at the end of that class, it was a four-week-long class. At the end of it, they decided they wanted more and asked if I would teach them more. And so I designed a year-long program for those students. And at the end of a year, they said, that's great, but we want more. (laughs) And so I was challenged to develop another year-long program. And um, at the end of that that year, then they said, well, okay, now we're ready for clinic. And so the next year developed into a clinic, a student clinic. And so it actually came out of really that group of committed students that shaped the, what I do right now. Mm, yeah. is, um, it was their, their longing, right? 
How did you find those first students? Did it just come out of the work you were doing at your children's school, at your daughter's school? No, not so much there. It was actually, I was in a, um, I had rented an office in a healing center and I had like a Sundays because nobody wanted Sundays. So I got the leftover dreads. <laughs> so I worked on Sundays and saw clients and it actually came out of me. Well, the the wellness center put out a newsletter every month. And so I'd write I'd write columns in the newsletter and had advertising. So mostly people were coming from that newsletter. This was really pre-internet, right? So things weren't done online. That was just still a twinkle in the eyes of uh, of mm-hmm. the creators of that system. So it was really the written word that got people in to see me. And then it was those clients who started to understand that I couldn't go into the depth I needed to go into that wanted to have more information. And from there, I also have this, still this philosophy that we have to be rooted with the plants. We have to have a foot in our plant world to do this work. And so it involved um, also lots of trips out into the woods so that they understood what plants were around them. And there's something very deeply intertying of our our plants need to speak through us. And if we don't have connection with them, we then just, it's like cutting our feet off. We can't really do the healing work without knowing the plants and their depth. And so for um, them, it was like half the time it was in the classroom and half the time was out in the field. And that's still true in my school, where half the time is out with plants mm-hmm. and the other half is in our our pursuit of our mental um, understanding. So that's how that all started. Cool. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I want to dig into the plant, the plant area a bit later as we're talking. But one thing I love about how your business has evolved and the center has evolved is it's really organic and almost like synchronistic. It doesn't sound like you, when you finished your herbal training, you suddenly said, I'm going to open this center and have a free community clinic and this huge vision for it. It was based, you just started and kept moving forward and then people would show up and you could see what the need was to fill that. Yes, I would say that it came out of a need and a calling for the people around me and I just could meet them. Mm -hmm. Because I think there's, I definitely see in our community, in our Wellprinter community, people that are just starting out, maybe still in school, still in training, they feel this huge pressure, like they have to have this business plan, you know, like they have to have their whole career, like this big picture, this big, bold vision of what they want to create before they even start. And I think that's paralyzing to a lot of people. Uh, oh, I think, it's, yeah. I think it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> I think one has to just, and the other thing about working with these students was there was so much love that I just wanted to take them to the next place that I had access to and they didn't. Um, And so it grew out of like this, like really, it wasn't a head thing. It was a heart thing. mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to stay with their hearts and make connections there let things arise from that place. So in a practical sense, though, I mean, that's so I think that's, you know, what a lot of us try to do. But there's also those 
day-to-day practical things. And sometimes you must have had like moments where you just thought, what am I doing? Or is this going to work as you were going through that process? I'm, I'm curious, did, did you have moments like that? Oh, that's, <laughs> you know, the, the moments are a moment. And if we can get through that moment, a new moment arrives. So I think it's really, really important to kind of have like a, a mantra, you know, that when we're worried or we're, we're unsure of ourselves, that we can use that mantra to get back because a moment's a moment and minds, you know, our minds come in and they go out. So if we have like something else that I'm actually good in creating a new world, it becomes something to live into that's bigger than us. But yes, I had many challenges in the, these 20 years. You know, I went through a divorce and became a single mom. And suddenly my business had to give me more than I asked it to do in the, initially. So I had to really make it because I had a daughter to take care of. And that was a real blessing for me to actually have to arrive for my daughter to um, actually uh, create substance for me. Would you mind sharing that story? Just a bit more about that, what you learned. Oh, about becoming a single mom and needing my business to now support the whole of my house. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like really, really, really powerful. So, um, you know, that really made me have to take my business seriously and sit down and look at how I was going to manifest what I needed. So... It was actually doing number crunching at that point. It's like, how much do I have to have to live? And I had to go through a lot of things about because I wanted to have my programs accessible to many different people of different incomes that I had to really look at how I was um, maybe not taking care of myself in those. And I had to become really strong about what my work was. And uh, what I would uh, negotiate and what I wouldn't negotiate. I don't know if that makes sense to you, mm-hmm. but yeah. women tend to give away too much, or at least that's for me. And somebody comes like weeping about like they'd like to do the program and they would like it on a payment plan. And I did that for a while and I found it to be very disastrous for me because mm-hmm. there is. Um, I take all the risk. So there has to be equal risk. So I had to learn these things. Really, it was difficult for me to learn. Um, I had a, a, I used to do payment plans and most of my students were on payment plans. And then we had a recession and all of my students, well, most of my students dropped out because they couldn't pay their payment plan, which put me into some financial crisis. And I still had to arrive for the students who were still there because that's my commitment to them. Mm-hmm. And that was like a really big lesson for about sustainability for myself. Mm-hmm. And I had to get to that place where actually if my students are pay all in advance, then even if they go through economic crisis, they can still go to school and get the new career they're looking for. And so I had to frame it in a different way. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another topic that I see a lot, which is, I think, especially in this world, this industry, or 
this you know area of holistic health and holistic healers. So many people go into it because they want to help people. And there's I think there's a sense that, you know, this this knowledge, like herbal medicine, it's like the people's medicine, right? It's something that we all used to do. And so people can feel really uncomfortable with charging for it and just yeah. want to give it away for free or really low, low price. But like you said, if you're not able to feed yourself and take care of yourself, then you're not able to do that work anymore. Like you, you have to look out for yourself also. Well, in, in, in this case, I had to look out for my nine-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole different thing for me to have to hold that, mm-hmm. which gave me the the courage and the strength to go, okay, no, I I have to charge a, a livable wage here, you know. But then you started also the clinic, and I guess that's a way that you're able to provide, you know, lower. That's more of like the education has to be um, paid for, <laughs> and the clinic is for everyone, and we try and work to make it for everybody. Everybody has a place there. Yes. So what do you wish, if, you know, if you could have gone back to, you know, late 1990s when you were just in the first few years of starting the school and the clinic, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to find a mentor because it's so valuable to have somebody in your corner who's gone through things that you're going to go through, right? Mm-hmm. And there were just no mentors. There was nobody doing that that work in the way I was doing it nearby. And now we're, we have a world full of people who are making it in the healing practices. And I would say those wise people are uh, worth, worth uh, having on your side. So how has herbal medicine and just kind of that that whole, I don't know, the perception of herbal medicine and the industry of it. How has that changed since you first got started? Well, everybody knows how to say echinacea now, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, you know, it was all kinds of interesting um, words coming out of people's mouth when they were trying to say that name. You know, I'm, my school's in Berkeley, so they're pretty, they've been into herbal medicine for a long time. So I don't have any challenges um, in where my school is, but I live in Concord, which is further away from Berkeley, and I still have to educate people, but there's more of an an idea of what herbal medicine is, though they have a different perspective of that. So they're often thinking as, as herbs as little drugs rather than herbs as actually a different practice completely. Uh-huh. This practice. And I think that that's our challenge right now is how to um, educate people that plants are not drugs <laughs> and they don't work very well in that kind of uh, system. You know, plants are really about wholeness and um, they do their best in a different kind of system than the system that their uh, conventional medicine is showing up doing. Um, so yes, in 20 years, I've like seen a vast change. And I imagine in the next five years, we're going to see it even change even more profoundly as we're watching our healthcare system really dissolve. It can't hold all of what's going on anymore. So a natural health is coming back into into the fold because it's actually our original healthcare system. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
plants have always been there for us and they will always be here for us um, to the end of time. And we've uh, fiddled around with other things and now it's time to come back home to the plants. So I know that you're a fourth generation Bay Area resident. So I guess you feel deeply connected to that land in that part of the earth. And I was wondering, you know, how do you balance or what do you think about using like the native plants from the place that the person's from versus using the standard repertoire of Western herbs or Chinese herbs or whatever you've been trained in? How do you oh, think about I love, Yeah, I love using plants where people are from and also here. In, but, you know, people bring their plants with them wherever they go. So we have plants that locate in our areas that were brought by by the immigrants because they were their beloved plants. So we often have some of these plants that um, go deeply into ancestral lines that can be a benefit. And it also depends on how I'm working with somebody. If we're working on ancestral work, we might use a, a plant from their land, a plant that has affinity to their their ancestors. If we're just working with present present life, any of the plants that are around us are are very useful because we're located here now and it's present now. It's not an old necessarily an old entry. It's a beautiful weaving of world ecology. I love the plants near me because you know they're around me all the time and I can talk to them, right? They're companions. And then I have plants that are deep in my ancestry that aren't around me, but I can pull them in when I'm doing some ancestral work. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, that people, you know, have a deep knowing of the plants that they've just forgotten? Oh, yes. And it's right there on the tip. In some of my classes, what I'll do is I'll just send everybody home with a plant to like to bathe in and put under their pillow and sleep with and to make tea from, and I won't tell them what it is because Mm -hmm. I want them to come back in and tell me what that plant did. And it's amazing how quick people get the language of plant. I had a very similar experience when I started studying herbalism and my teacher would do the same thing, give us these unnamed teas to taste and ask us to go around the room and just describe what, you know, what we noticed in our body, where it went in the body, what the qualities were. And I remember in the beginning, I was so, I'm pretty intellectual, right? So I was so frustrated. I was like, this is ridiculous. Can't we just look it up in a book? And actually, but, you know, I had a few experiences where I just nailed it. Like I had ladies mantle and I just immediately felt something like in my womb space, for example. And, mm-hmm. and then after when you figure out what it is, you think, oh, like it do, it works. <laughs> Actually, yeah. we are in like our bodies innately know how to be in tune with the plants. And it's just I'd forgotten, I think, to how to trust that. So I think that's, yeah, a wonderful it, practice to get people back it's into. A wonderful practice. And also it gives you trust in your your what your experience is. You get trust in that because plant is teaching you how this is, right? Mm-hmm. It's very important for um Uh, herbal students to get that level of confidence in their own experience so that that when they're working with clients, they can identify what's going on in their clients. Let's say you make up a formula 
and it's got ladies mantle in it and somebody comes back and it's oh this formula is terrible and you go well what what was terrible like my womb is full of heat <laughs> or my womb is so cold you go oh ladies mantle ah oh, that's that i have to shift something mm. right so it's really important that we have these like somatic experiences with plants in our training or we just become head zombies right mm-hmm. I think that there's something there about not just for herbalists, but I think for everyone, especially everyone working in kind of the holistic healing health world, there's something about like reconnecting with nature and the plants and the earth and actually getting your body back in tune with that. I think that, I don't know, what do you, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts about the value of that for everyone. Oh, it's, uh, it's lovely. (laughs) If you're not taking plants, you are missing like so much like loving energy. Yeah. My students are assigned to plants every week to be working with, and they just have such a love affair with them. I'm trying to think of uh, one plant that's uh, especially been really fun for me recently as I've uh, been going through my menopause is uh, Shatavari, who is just like this goddess of light and love. And every time I take her, I just like, I'm so happy, right? So happy that she's there helping me through this time. So lovely. And so we have these like deeper connections with these plants as uh, as spiritual entities for a shift and change. And in this world right now, that's what we can use a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. right? Love and light. Plants are just all this water and light, you know? So fabulous. Um, And a lot of the work that I do is much more on that kind of level of um, kind of dimensional healing. So like um, trying to look at karmatic patterns and using plants to um, help people loosen and shift family ancestry and karmatic problems that keep coming up for individuals. And requires me to um, use some of the really beautiful heavy hitter uh, adaptogens that can uh, shift our limbic brain and reinform our hypothalamus about how to move energy through our body at the same time doing a narrative approach mm. which is um it's very fun can you tell us like how do you identify if somebody has this kind of karmic pattern like how would you know that's what's happening well they keep repeating things that could be, you know, they keep um, they keep getting involved with the same kind of man and they keep um, losing relationships in a similar way. That's a karma. That's a karmatic pattern. And often might have to, we might have to look into family history about how that goes. But to shift it, we have to go through a, a narrative. We use a plan to open them up to see what's going on and then to create a new pathway, a new a kind of life they want to live. Mm. Uh, we have to give something up to have that, you know, some belief in ourselves up. And our plants can really help loosen these holds of our stories, right? The big deal that a plant can loosen that nervine, right? That nervine can loosen your anxiety and your attention. When it does that, there's an opening for changing a story, right? 
Mm-hmm. Now not pull it held so tight to it. But here, you took a big dose of skull cap and everything's calm. In that calmness, let's look at what was giving you anxiety and let's unpack it. Let's figure out what happened. Does this relate back to a time when, you know, you had an event in your life that could be quite easily that mom left you at a neighbor's house for a couple days and you got really anxious. It was a new place. And so any new thing creates that kind of dimension. When we give skull cap, we can unpack it and get back to that child that was originally hurt. And then create a new story for the future so that they don't have to go there anymore. Mm. It's a really lovely way of of like, because so much of what we're dealing with, even our chronic pain and these chronic diseases are of a spiritual dimension that is coming through ancestral lines. Mm -hmm. It's unresolved conflicts or wounds from the past. And to really be a stand for people in their healing. It's not just working with people's yeast infections. It's working with a whole line of people that have been damaged, that it will continue if it doesn't get um, resolved in this lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. And I guess, I mean, obviously this applies to everybody. Everybody has this, might have these things in their lineage, but I think for women especially, there's, you know, a lot of our ancestresses, ancestors did not have the types of lives we have today. And there's a lot of pain in there that might be being passed down that we need to heal. Yeah, definitely. And so when we see people flip out, when we use these plants and we can help people, and there's no formulaic way, this is the part that makes people who are intellectual really difficult is because You can't just go, oh, she has mother issues, and so she gets this and this and this, right? (laughs) It's not like that. It's not formulaic. You have to actually be there in compassion and allow the plants to arrive, not predetermined, but to arrive in that moment for unveiling, right? Like being present with that person, and the plants will come in, and be informed as we channel, which is a portal for them, for that work, right? Mm-hmm. If we know our plants really well, we have these, these spiritual relationships to them. When my client sits in front of me or my student sits in front of me and they tell their story, my plants are arriving. The healers are showing up. The portal is opening. I have nothing to do with it. Mm, That's great. It takes the pressure off you too. It's not like you have to figure it out. You're just there and witnessing the story and then seeing who shows up to help. Yeah, holding space. Mm, I love it. Back on, just on a little more practical note, I'm curious what you see with, because you work with so many students that I guess want to become professional herbalists. What's the advice that you give about how they can get started and how to start, you know, how to really find their clients and get it going? Well, we start that already at school. We're doing that all along in their education. So in our clinic year, um, they're not just seeing clients, they're they're creating uh, uh, strategies, how to get out there and get people. So we're often in many places doing lectures as part of our program. 
we have like our seniors, our lectures at our senior centers. We've got lectures going on at our local herb shops and our students are doing those lectures because, you know, this is a very intimate work. People don't just, when you put an ad up, they're not going to come to you with that ad. I had one uh, old colleague who said, Pam, you know, I just rented this great space in Marin. I put my plaque up and no one's coming. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, no one knows you're there. And when we're doing this kind of intimate work, people need to know who you are before they seek you out. So the more exposures that you have in your community, the better likely you're going to have people come into your practice. So also in our clinic, what we do is our clinicians, um, for those clients who can afford to move on when our, our clinicians graduate, they move right into their practice. They're already set up. They know who their um, people are, and they're already able to hold, um, make a little bit of some money right then. So I'm curious, do you, do you do anything online? Like, are you using, doing online marketing, social media, or are you sticking with doing more in-person events and talks and things? Well, we do online too, and that reaches a, a kind of an audience beyond our our location. A lot of folks will move here to go to school and then move away. And in those cases, you know, we have maybe a different plan for them, depending on what, what's calling them. But from day one, I'm already creating like the curriculum for the students who are there and where they're saying they want to go with this. So I would say go where where your heart calls you, you know. We do have social media and I do use it. And there's pros and cons to it. There, Our website is probably the thing that uh, advertises us the most. And then, but I love these lectures out. I just love it. And I think it's something we've um, gotten away from rather than personally going and meeting people, right? And seeing who is in our community and what their needs are. And that just doesn't happen on any media platform that I know. Is that actually shaking someone's hand and asking them how they're doing, right? How are they, how are they coping with the world right now? And uh, we've become more and more distant. And, you know, it's a real problem for our seniors who can't run, who just don't have the skills to do the computer, and they're actually slowing down their minds, their bodies are moving much slower than the electronics are. And they have a big time with it. And they're being isolated and shut out. And so I have a special place in my heart for them. And so we do a lot of outreach, even though they might not come into our herbal center because they're still locked into a, a different model of healthcare. But we really want to make sure that they're involved in the conversation of community. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my heart aches for them. Also, from an herbal perspective, it can be fascinating to talk to elders and see what they remember from their childhood. Because they often remember things that they've just ignored now, moving into you know modern medicine and modern food and all of that. But that can be fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're wonderful. They have all these remedies from grandma. Mm-hmm. Knowing that a lot of people out there listening are not herbalists and maybe have, they're, you know, everyone's into holistic health, but maybe they haven't really played with plants. Do you have a favorite simple remedy or ritual yeah. or something people could give a try to? Well, I have a particular plant combination that I love, which is equal parts Melissa, St. John's wort, and kava. The, these these plants can't be used with, you should not use them with antidepressants or any other, actually any other drugs. Stay away from this combination. But this one is, I use this formula for, for divorce, for people who are going through divorce. I use it for uh, anxiety, for usually anxiety coming from could be from anything, but really from ancestral heritage, um, so ancestral trauma. And it's really lovely. It's really lovely, especially for somebody who tends to work with who, when they get anxious, get angry and mean and push everybody away. This plant just melts the ego, opens your heart, sees hope in the future. So it allows you to just move through this without a lot of bumpy, bumpy water. Well, I had this one couple who was seeing me during their divorce, and I just gave them the large family size bottle, and they take it when they needed to. And they um, were getting through their divorce really very well without um, projecting on each other and being very gracious about what they gave to each other. And they ran out of the bottle. And then all of a sudden, they hired lawyers and they were at each other's throats. And they came back to see me. And I gave them another big bottle of the Kava, Melissa, and St. John's Wort. And they were, they ended up firing their lawyers and just resolving things all on their own in a really beautiful, loving way that really honored their children, too. And that's the, the magic of those plants together. They're a trilogy. They work lovely together. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Okay. And we're kind of getting to the end of our time together, but I always like to ask if you have any personal routines or rituals, like for example, a morning routine or something, because I know you have a lot going on, you know, being the, the founder and executive director of the center and, and everything and plus your life, just as a business owner and as a human, what kind of rituals and routines do you have to make sure that you're yeah, feeling well and able to do what you need to do. Part of my routine in the morning is meditation. I know that actually when I leave the door of my life, my time is not my own anymore. So all of self-care has to happen in the morning before I leave and open my doors to other people and their problems. So part of my practice is every morning is a um spiritual practice that I have that's um, based in Tibetan Buddhism. And I have a cup of tea with Buddha. And we have a little chat about what's all going on and what the, the next uh, next piece is that um, is on my plate. And I have some mantras that I do and some and depending, I have different practices I might bring in, but I spend about an hour and a half doing that. And I take my dog out for a very long walk for about an hour and a half. And I'm 
usually up by five or six in the morning and um, I need to really be at work by 10. So these things have to occur in this time. Now it's taking me longer to get to work. So I have to edge in a little earlier in the morning. And then when I'm really good, I prepared my food for the day so that I'm fed. That's so always good. Yeah. In the early hours of the morning where it's hard to do self-care is the hardest thing. Self-care is way harder than working with other people, right? Mm-hmm. Take care of our little child inside us. I love that way of looking at it, taking care of our little the little children that are inside us. Because we need to do that first. And it always feels like the one thing you can push aside, isn't it? That it's yes, so easy yes. to say, oh, it's not important. But actually, it's the most important. The most important, mm-hmm. right? Oh, Pam, it's been so great talking to you. Do you want to, I don't know, do you have any final thoughts or anything else you want to share with people out there listening? Just like um, the, we're creating this new world. We're creating a new world of healing and love for everyone and not to be discouraged by uh, sharp uh, arrows that might get pointed at you or, you know, the rocky road or the no path. It's like stay in that light force of what you're trying to do is actually transforming the world so that all people can be free, all people can be happy, all people can be held with prosperity and love and have long lives of happiness, right? Yay. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. Tell us where people can learn more about the school and and get in touch with you. Yeah, at uh, holonicenter.org is our website, and that's spelled O-H-L-O-N-E, center, C-E-N-T-E-R, dot org. And um, you can find all our contact information there. Excellent. Oh, thanks so much, Pam, for being here. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. As always, you can get all of our links in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you'd like to talk about this week's episode, or if you have a question about growing your own wellness business, then come join us in our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. Sometimes we get new members joining and they'll post and they'll say, I'm really working on, you know, social media, or I'm working on hiring a VA, or I'm working on creating a program. What are good resources? And everyone jumps in and helps. We can direct you to podcast episodes. We can recommend tools. So don't be shy. Whatever you're working on in your wellness business, come over and chat with us in the community group and we can get you pointed in the right direction. So that's it for me for this episode, but I will see you back here next time. So have a fantastic week and I will see you in our Facebook group. 